Germany's social market economy combined free markets with a strong welfare state. It becomes the social democratic party. Yes, we can. Education, education, and education. Hello and welcome to the Centre Think Tank's podcast, The Centrist Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will Barber-Taylor. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Burks, the Partners and Trade Union Relations Lead at Labour and Communications, and also the Press Relations, Media Engagement and External Communications Strategy Person for Unison in the East Midlands. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Will, thank you very much. Nice to be here. It's great to have you on. Now, the first question that I'd like to ask is... How did you get involved in labour and communications? And, and what is labour and communications for those who, who haven't heard of it? Uh, good question, uh, which is a question we answer quite a lot, um, which tells us we need to do a bit more communicating, but we're, <laughs> we're quite happy to do that. Um, uh, in its most simple form, labour and communications is a network of around two and a half thousand professional uh, communications, media and public affairs consultants. Um, as it were. So we're, all, we're from a, you know, a huge variety of backgrounds. Uh, we're all working in different places for different people. Like you said in your intro, um, I do press and communications for Unison in the East Midlands. So I'm a trade unionist. Uh, so I've got a, a, back, a background in broadcasting. So commercial radio broadcasting and a bit of work for the BBC is where I came from. Uh, and then through a bit of activism, and my link with with Labour, uh, I ended up working for a trade union. Uh, but other uh, colleagues in our network uh, work at uh, well-known uh, PR and media communications firms in the city of London. Uh, some are based in uh, in the northwest, uh, somewhere elsewhere, um, in the, the the cities and regions across the UK. So we've got a good spread of not only geography but um, backgrounds and talents as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the things that I think is particularly interesting about labour and communications are the events that you have been running for a long time with different people involved in the Labour Party, where people who are, who are interested in communications can come on, uh, come along and, and hear uh, what different people, whether they be from the shadow cabinet or, or previous leaders or, or, or people who've been involved in labour with the past, hear what they have to say and, you know, be able to talk to them. How did those events come about initially? And how valuable do you think it is that people who are interested in communications can have a, a, a nice, interesting, kind of like relaxed chat with people in the Labour Party who are both, you know, at the forefront of it now, but also have, have been involved in it in the past? Um, I think the people that who are our guests actually get more out of it. Uh, because they, um, they're kind of held to account for an hour, but in a really uh, friendly way, which is sometimes the most disarming way possible. Um, for those people old enough to remember David Frost, when he did Frost on Sunday for the BBC, it was sort of like sat in an armchair, you're on a sofa, um, but all these politicians just came along and told all their, their little secrets because they felt really disarmed. Mm. Um, and it's pretty much the same, you know, we get really honest uh, conversations going with with people from Shadow Cabinet. We've had all but one of the Metro mayors on. Um, Oliver Coppard uh, is the one we are uh, still waiting for, but he has agreed. So we're looking forward to chatting to Oliver soon. Uh, and we are hopefully going to do a session uh, soon with trade union general secretaries as well, which I'm involved in. So um, yeah, we, we, we have this um, 
it's it's open as well you know you you don't have to be a a signed up uh member not that we take a membership fee but you don't have to be part you know formally part of the network of laboring communications to be part of these events you can just go to our website quick plug laboringcoms.org.uk um and then you can just stick your email address in there and rsvp and we, we will send you an update uh on the day just remind you and say hey don't forget you know we're chatting to this particular person uh and like you say we've spoken to you know some some real big hitters in the shadow cabinet and in the in the PLP, but you know the metro mayors, people that are in power, people that are shaping conversations. Um, you know, coming up soon, we've got Stella Creasy, uh, Tandesi, Lord Blunkett. Um, the one that I am the most looking forward to the most because uh, it's the first one that I'm hosting. They've actually let me host one of these, um, uh, which is is probably something they'll come to regret when it happens. Um, <laughs> which is in July, which is with Dame Angela Eagle former trade unionist i'm very excited about that and then we've got kim ledbetter uh stephen kinnock we've uh just done recently alex davis jones done recently steve rotherham recently you know we've got all of these names people uh, names that people will know uh and that will identify with um and we're just really lucky that they see um a benefit in actually coming to talk to us uh so if you are um you know, if you are wanting to hear from these people, if you are looking for a, a real um, uh, easy way of, of connecting and chatting with these people without having to, you know, fight your way through a, a crowded social room or, you know, get yourself invited to an event and push people out of the way with your elbows, um, laboring communications, the events that we hold, are a fantastic way to do it. So if you, if you just, you know, if you, if you search on Google, laboring communications, get to our website, find an event with someone that you want to, to hear from sticking your email address in the RSVP. And um, yeah, it's as easy as that. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I have been along to some of the events in, in the past can certainly recommend it for anybody who's listening, who hasn't been it. They are um, extraordinarily enjoyable events. And as, as you said, very um, candid ones as well. And, and, and you really do get a sense that uh, the guests, as, as you say, are perhaps getting a bit more out of it than, than anybody um <laughs> Else, um, in, in terms of just looking at the way that social media um, is becoming more important for political communications, it's one of the things that we've really seen taken off in the, in the past decade or so. How do you think social media interactions have affected how parties, in, including Labour, try to get their message out? Do you think that there's more of a focus now on ads on Twitter or, or other social media platforms than on the traditional party political broadcasts of old? Or do you think that we're seeing a kind of like a, a hybrid state where we're seeing ads like that on, on, on Twitter, but still the same kind of effort being uh, put forward to getting Labour's message across in traditional media? I think that um, like any company any organization wanting to get their message out you have to look at the money that you've got with your your pot of money for your ad spend or your marketing budget your communications budget and you have to split it up you know you have to look at how much money do we spend on a party political broadcast how much money do we spend on print how much money do we spend on on radio or whatever it might be and how much money do we spend on on digital media and obviously that budget over the last 5 10 15 years for digital has shot up and rightly so because the audience you know that's where everybody is you know we all look at our phones mm. we are all at that we we have all at some point mentioned something in a conversation 
or search for something once online and you go on the next day to Instagram and immediately there's an advert for it. And you've literally no idea where the advert has turned up from or how the algorithms worked, but it, it just, just works. And so, you know, political parties aren't, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not outside this space. They also have to, you know, compete for our time and our attention in a really, uh, a really busy world. So they're going to try and be wherever they can be. The risk, uh, from my point of view, a, a, a personal point of view, is the risk is sometimes uh, political parties focus too much on what they put into their social media coverage. Mm. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I know that you are quite the tweeter, Will, uh, and so am I. But we forget sometimes, us media communications political people forget that Twitter isn't real life. Mm. Twitter is, at best, an echo chamber for our opinions. You know, we we will, hopefully, all of us will follow people on social media that we don't agree with. And mm-hmm. the reason that we do it is because we like to have our opinions challenged. We like to see what, you know, people who don't agree with us are saying as a better way to understand an opposition line or, you know, it, as, you know I'm a Labour Party member. I'm a Labour Party and a, and a co-op member and a trade unionist. Um, but I like to follow, you know, conservative blogs or conservative thinkers or, um, uh, you know, conservative media, because I like to see how they have taken a story and their angle on it and their opinion mm. on it. And only by doing that and by understanding where, you know, your political uh, rivals are, uh, will you f- understand the messaging and the, the way that you have to reach those people? Um, so social media is important that way, but I think sometimes we get too caught up in what people on Twitter are saying, mm. what you know, what what we're posting, um, because Twitter's not real life. Yeah. You know, the, the 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 those people that door knock or canvas, those activists that go out every single weekend and knock on doors and chat to people, or people who aren't really political but talk to their mates at work or you know, go to the pub or catch up over coffee. When they're talking about politics, it's in its most basic element. It's the stuff that they have read in uh, in the newspaper, if there's such a thing that they do anymore, or read a newspaper on their phone, mm-hmm. or they have briefly seen it on the news or briefly heard it on the radio while they're doing everything else in their life. Uh, you know, it's it's that it's it's the headline conversation, is it? We don't we don't we don't get into the nitty gritty. It's just sort of, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, and I think sometimes political parties forget that uh, and sort of expect the general public to be as engaged, as informed as, you know, people like me and you are. Mm. Uh, and I think there's probably a lesson to be learned there from political parties of all colours of how they communicate with the electorate um, mm. and the way that they do and the language that they do as well. Uh, and in in the space that people are in. So um, I think uh, while social media is important, it is not the be all and end all. Mm, Absolutely. Um, In in terms of that, do you think having worked in communications has affected the way that you view social media companies and the amount of power that they have? Because of course, there's a lot of discussion of late uh, in regards to the ownership of Twitter, Elon Musk, um, taking uh, over Twitter, that, that, that kind of thing, and, and, and the amount of power that social media 
companies have. Do, do you think that working in communications has shaped how you, how much power you think that they should have social media companies and how much regulation they need to have? Um, I think when you work in communications and you end up taking on responsibility for social media and digital platforms, you realize um, A, how incredibly toxic those places can be, um, but also how important they are seen by the organization you work for. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, as an example, you know, uh, I work for, like you say, I work for Unis in the trade union. And we have, um, you know, a, a presence on pretty much every platform of social media because as Britain's biggest trade union, you would expect mm. for that to happen. You know, we have 1.3 million members. And at some point, one of those members is going to want to search us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, will want to see what we're doing digitally uh, because, you know, rightly so, they want to see what their union's doing to present uh you know, to protect their terms and conditions, to fight for better working conditions, for fight for a pay rise that they deserve. Uh, but also, you know, they want a return on their investment, Will. That's mm. that's what you want, don't you? If you pay your subs every month to a, a trade union or whatever, you know, you expect a decent level of service back, you know, whether mm. it's a magazine subscription or a digital subscription or uh, a political party, you know, subscription, it, it's exactly the same. You would expect a return on your investment, you would expect to see something back in return. So that's, you know, that's kind of where we are. Uh, you know, people like me, mm. digital and, and communications people, that's what we have to do. We have to make sure that we are present, that the uh, content is of a particular standard. It engages. It also speaks with our tone of voice and it's authentic. You know, mm. you, it's what you would expect from, from Unison. Every single trade union has a different uh, tone of voice. Um, obviously, union, uh, uh, Unison has our own, but being on that, being in social media, you kind of realize that um, every single social media platform has its positives and negatives. They all serve their own purpose, um, but trying to do exactly the same on every single one of them, um, it, it won't do you. It won't do you much good. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of a lot of people, uh, in, including you know people that you would hope would know better, <laughs> um, would treat all social media the same. Mm. Uh, and you know that's not the best way to engage or connect to an audience. That's uh, you know we're we're seeing uh, quite a lot of um, communications companies working with brands and the best way to target their message on different social media. Uh, and it's great as well to see uh, a few MPs, um, not the majority, uh, a few MPs who really understand how best to work uh, social media. I mean, just as a name check, uh, because she is one of our local MPs uh, in Nottingham, uh, is uh, Nadia Whittam, mm -hmm. who's the MP for Nottingham East, uh, the baby of the house. She's the youngest MP. Um, and as you would expect, uh, from you know someone of Nadia's generation I say Nadia's generation I'm like six years older than she is um uh, but um she gets it you know she is on all the social medias that you would expect uh she has a TikTok account she engages her audience you know where they are um, she goes to her audience and she serves her audience where they are 
Um, and that's a really important message for a lot of people who are high profile, forward facing, you know, public, uh, public servants, I'll use that word, they're public um, officials, you know, they mm -hmm. are, um, don't expect your constituents or your audience or your potential customers or clients to find where you are. Mm -hmm. You have to go to them in the spaces that they're in. So you have to take a lot of time um, to plow through the data and work, just find out what works, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to regulation, that is a um, that is a, a, a question and a conversation that is far beyond uh, my expertise. Um, but I mean, from its most basic level, I I I take the line that social media providers. Um, are, are content creators mm. they are publishers and therefore should be treated the same way as every other publisher in the uk so um, i know there's a long way to go on regulation of of the internet and social media um but i think that conversation needs to keep happening um in a way that encourages social media companies to take responsibility for what's on their platform Absolutely. Um, I'd like to know, just turn back to um, communications of the past, because, of course, this year marks 25 years since the 1997 uh, election, Labour winning a massive landslide majority. And of course, Labour and communications has worked on a couple of occasions with um, Alistair Campbell, who was integral to that victory. I'm just wondering, looking back on 1997 what are your thoughts in terms of how important communication was and how important disciplined communication was for labor in that election campaign um yeah i mean uh, quickly about that uh, report that we we've done it's called lessons from a landslide and any, anybody can read it um it's on the website if you go to laboringcoms.org.uk it's on a, it's a big plastered on the on the home page of the website and it's a really good report, Lessons from a Landslide. Um, Alistair Campbell did the introduction for it. Uh, I'm very grateful that he did. Uh, and the big chunk of the report was written by um, Anthony Broxton. Anthony um, will be known to people on Twitter uh, in that political bubble that we all live in, Will. Um, it, it, he is um, tides of history on, on Twitter. So if you are into your Labour Party history, um, and you, you probably do follow Tides of History. Anthony is the guy behind that. He's a cultural, political historian um, and writes a lot about Labour history. So um, Anthony and Alistair did the work together. And it was, it was not, it, it's really important to understand this is not looking back at 97 and doing a copy and paste for the next election for Labour. That, that's not what it's about. A lot of people have just seen Alistair Campbell, Lessons from a Landslide, and gone, right, okay, here we go, copy and paste. <laughs> that's, that's not what it is mm. at all. But what we are looking at, like you said, Will, is how Labour were successful in 97, how they managed that cut through, how they managed to achieve the press coverage uh, that they did in 1997. You know, and let's, let's compare and contrast, you know, here we are in 2022 with a Conservative Party mired in scandal, coming to the end of their tenure, hopefully from my point of view, uh, and they are just completely out of ideas. 
to a point where they are now taking Labour's ideas with managing the cost of living and trying to make that easier for people, giving it a different name and trying to pretend that they were in favour of it for the entire time. So, you know, I, I make a joke, but we are probably only a few more weeks away from the, the um, uh, bringing back the, the, the old school John Major traffic cones hotline. We are at that point now. But compare, you know, we are not too different from 1995 and 96, the Tory party then, to the Conservative Party now. Uh, so there are some incredibly easy wins. But at the same time, you have got a prime minister who is sucking all of the oxygen out of the press or communications debate because you know you've you've got the client journalists as you would expect in the telegraph and the mail and the express that don't see a problem with anything that he's doing and it's absolutely fine but then you've got the other newspapers uh you know with their different editorial angles but they're all still focusing on johnson because mm. he is the oxygen that they need to survive to sell papers you know and it's just like what happened uh with trump in america mm. you can't take your eye off him you know, you can't, you, and every single day there's a new story about Trump and every single day there's a new story about the prime minister and the people around him. And it's sucking all of the oxygen up, which me, it make, makes it very difficult for any other opposition party to get a, to get a hearing. Mm. And when you are trying to get cut through at the minute, it's, in, you know, it's incredibly difficult, you know, look at the Lib Dems or look at the, the, the Greens, um, you know, the, the SNP have, have got different thing. You know, Plaid Cymru have different as well. But, mm. but you know, the 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 chance of um, an opposition party getting a fair hearing at the minute is very difficult. So, this uh, lessons from a landslide uh, report that we've done from Labour and Communications. It's six key bullet points, uh, and then we you know we go on to to sort of um, elaborate on them through the through the document, but I'll quickly run you through those six points that we've suggested. Number one is neutralize your opponent's attack line because Keir Starmer's success will rest upon whether he can neutralize that criticism that we are still a London Remainer elite party, mm. um, you know, and we just have to constantly fight back against that, uh, against that criticism. And also not only that, the, hangover that we still have from the, the Corbyn era. Um, because, you know, wherever you are on the, you know, on, in the Labour Party, wherever you are in the tradition or in the, you know, in, in the party, um, you can't deny that Jeremy Corbyn is, is still coming up quite a lot in the House of Commons mm. from the Prime Minister. He's still using that Corbyn stick to beat Starmer with. Uh, and we need to get over that uh, and only by neutralizing his attack lines, the prime minister's attack lines will, you know, we start to cut through. Uh, the other point that we recommended was to make Labour the patriotic party of, of Britain again. And that's more than just Keir Starmer standing in front of a flag to, mm -hmm. to demonstrate, you know, British values. It's, it's talking about a progressive patriotism. It's not patriotic to have working people rely on food banks. It's not patriotic to have old age pensioners 
turning off their heating. It's not patriotic for uh, children's schools to be underfunded and crumbling and for teachers to be even a profession. It's not patriotic for people to have to wait months and months and months to see a cancer uh, specialist. Mm. You know, when we talk about patriotism, it's not the flag. It's not, you know, hanging a St. George out of your window during the Euros or during uh, the World Cup. It's, it's about looking after the people that are in this country. That's patriotism. Uh, the third one on the list that we, we, we recommended to, to Labour was to reflect the mood of the press. And this one's a really important one. Because whatever you think, wherever you are in the Labour Party, we have to realise that we have to engage with every single element of the press. It's, it's not as easy as just doing a really easy interview with the Daily Mirror and expecting it to cut through. Just as in 1997, sometimes we have to talk to parts of the press that we wouldn't normally naturally affiliate to. Mm. We, have to we have to be in the sun. We have to do interviews, articles, have conversations with the Daily Mail and the Daily Express and the Daily Telegraph, because only by getting our voice in those spaces will we be able to engage in a conversation with people who disagree with us. We, as a political party, as a labor movement, we cannot just rely on our own support, on our own friends to get us into Downing Street. It's just basic electoral maths that we need people who voted conservative last time to vote for Labour next time. But to do that and to have the conversation and to convince them, we need to be in the spaces that they're at. We need to go and reach them where they are. Mm. Uh, and the, the other point, moving on from that, but very related to it is simplicity and consistency of message style. Mm. Um, I, I'm going to put you on the spot, Will. I mean, I don't expect you to remember all of the political slogans um, and, and the strap lines that political parties have used, but it doesn't have to be Labour focused or whatever it might be. But can you name a well-known campaign strap line or message focus from the last, I don't know, five years? Which, what's the first one that comes on the top of your head? Well, I mean, the first one that comes on the top of my head would be take back control. Exactly. Take back control, get Brexit done, strong and stable, mm. um, you know, build back better whatever they all mean, um, but they are all conservative messages. Every single one of them are conservative messages or a vote leave message if you want to separate a, a, you know, a, a pressure group from a political party, but they are all, majority of them, conservative party messages, and the conservative party are incredibly good at messaging. Labour is getting better. The people that are in and around the leader of the opposition's office and the parliamentary party, we're starting to get some really good people in there. And that message discipline is starting to get a lot better, but it just needs to keep going on that, on, on that trajectory. We need to keep going. We need to talk in a message and style that, that we're talking in now. Mm. You know, it's, it's that whole, and I know it's, it's an overused analogy of 
you know, the, the water cooler chat or the pub chat or how you talk to your mate in a coffee shop or whatever it is, but it's, it genuinely is that. It's a tabloid style of communicating. You know, it's, it's, and I hate those three word slogans with a passion because it just undermines the political <laughs> debate to its lowest common denominator. Mm, yeah. But there is some, there is some truth in it. You know, it's, it's messaging that we can remember that cuts through that, that basically throws its arm around the audience, around the electorate. You know, it's very clever, you know, get Brexit done. We remember get Brexit done, mm. but we don't remember the word that they used first, which was let's. And let's is an incredibly powerful word in, word in communications because yeah. let's, let's makes it feel like it's our responsibility. Mm. It's all of us that we need to do it, you know? Yeah. Let's get Brexit done. It's it's a positive message. It, 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 I think that did an awful lot to convince the people that were on the fence, um, you know, to 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 support it and to 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 vote Conservative in in 2019. So it's about simplicity, simplicity and consistency of message. Mm. Um, quickly, the two final points: address the hung Parliament question. We don't need to go into the election like we did with Ed Miliband and, you know, the SNP question. We uh, anybody that remembers political campaigns or general elections will remember that picture of uh, of Alex Sammons and uh, Ed Miliband in his in his top pocket of his shirt pocket. We remember that picture. And I think that did more damage to the Labour vote than you know anything else i mean we can we can remember david cameron's um ed miliband's government of chaos <laughs> tweet um but we remember that picture of alex salmond and of ed miliband and that changed a lot of people's mind so we need to address the hung parliament question are we going to work with the SP? are we happy to do a supply and confidence agreement with the lib dems in case of a minority we need to do it now uh yeah. because then you go into the election and people will know and you aren't at you aren't at the risk of the Conservative Party um, hitting you with that stick. You can, you know, if we do it now, Labour can control their own message and they can, they can find a positive way to do that. Um, and finally, just offering a new approach to politics. You know, over the next few years, Labour's task is to turn the narrative that we have now into a, a powerful policy platform because it's um, it's one of those things that comes upon the doors quite a lot, Will, is when you knock on the door mm. and you say, hello, my name's Chris, I'm from the Labour Party. And they'll go, oh, okay, brilliant, let's have a chat. What's, um, what's the Labour Party's policy or position on this? And you just go, ah, well, this is what, this is what the Tories think. No, 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 <laughs> I want to know what you think. Um, and however supportive... Um, I am of the party and however much I think Star, uh, Keir Starmer is doing a, a fantastic job and the, the job that he's done since he inherited the leadership is monumental. Um, I still think there's a long way to go with policy and communicating that to the public and actually getting cut through of, you know, policies that are genuinely transformational, mm. um, like New Labour did in 1997. So, that's kind of a, a, I say quick, I probably talked for far too long, Will, but that is a quick summary of that big document that we published for, uh, for lessons from a landslide. Um, you know, we need, we need to neutralise Boris Johnson and his, you know, 
his lies uh, and you know combat the culture war that he's that he does just to get away from the actual conversation we need to make labor the patriotic party of britain again reflect the mood of the press talk to people that we wouldn't normally talk to be clear and concise in our message and style be honest with the british people about if we've got the numbers for government if we haven't who we're going to work with and tell them how we're going to transform their lives tell tell people what we're going to do for schools and hospitals and their communities and house building and jobs and wages all the important things that we that we care about on a on a on a daily basis so if we can do all of that just a few things will that, that <laughs> Keir Starmer and his team need to do do if we can do all of that we should be all right for the next election absolutely just just thinking about um the messaging going into that next election how important do you think the theme of change or the the change argument will be to that election? I mean, we've seen in Australia um, with the Australian Labour Party and anti-Albanese winning there for the first time in a decade. We've seen it in um, America with, with Joe Biden, though part of that obviously can be uh, put down to a bit of, you know, better uh, the, the stable devil you know than the uh, slightly mad devil you've got in at the moment. <laughs> and you can and you can see that as well recently um, in in Germany uh, with the SDP. Um, what part do you think of the next election campaign will Labour use change in? How important do you think a message message of change will be? I think it will probably depend on who the Conservative incumbent will be. Because we'll go yeah. into the next election, obviously, with the Conservative government, but not necessarily with Boris Johnson. Mm. Um, you know, I am certainly, uh, I, I certainly haven't got a crystal ball, but I would, I, I would doubt that Boris Johnson would be the person to take the Conservatives into the next election. I think looking at the history of the Conservative Party, of a ruthless uh, election-winning machine, they probably will think to look somewhere else. And then it kind of depends who the candidate is going to be. I mean, it, it, they could you know, go completely different direction. They could think, oh, what on earth did we do at the last leadership election? And all of a sudden, Jeremy Hunt comes back. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it could be you know, a one nation Tory like a Tobias Elwood, or it could be a Tom Tugan hat, um, or they could just, you know, <laughs> double down and then just keep going. It could be, you know, <laughs> it, it could be Pretty Patel or it could be, um, you know, someone already in the cabinet. I mean, if it's Nadine Dorries, uh, I, I'm literally going to try and find anybody with an Irish uh, descent in my family history and apply for a passport. <laughs> um, uh, but, but I think it depends who it is. But at the same time, it will have been a go it will have been a government in power for a long time mm. you know we it's really easy to forget that this is the same government that was elected in 2015 mm. uh you know we've had david cameron and we've had theresa may and we've now got boris johnson so even though they are different figureheads at the top of this government with different priorities and a different agenda it is still the same conservative government really mm. um desperately running out of ideas but it doesn't mean that a new leader can't come in and revitalize mm. the party um 
So it kind of depends who it is. But I, again, I think that there will be an element of change in that campaign. Mm -hmm. I have all confidence um, that it will be Keir Starmer in the next election. If you are listening to this in the future, and that obviously doesn't happen, then I will. I, I immediately regret what I said. Um, and I understand if you don't want to employ me to do your um, election communications or predictions. <laughs> but looking at what uh, the Prime Minister has been faced with in the Sue Gray report, and he's just carrying on with, compared to what Keir Starmer uh, is being faced with, I would certainly hope common sense would prevail and Keir Starmer will stay um, and will be the leader of the Labour Party into the next general election. So you have already got the comparison there between Keir Starmer and the kind of character that he is and the principles that he has compared with this Conservative government. So that, 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 that idea of change is already quite clear, I think. You know, you've got those two comparisons. And that's quite a, a clear distinction. So that's kind of change in itself. Um, but I think it's it's easy to sort of shout, change, 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 hope, 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 you know, a, a new government, all that kind of stuff. But you need to demonstrate it. Mm. Will, you need to demonstrate it in policy. You know, it's how we address the cost of living. Uh, it, all, that, all that stuff that I mentioned, it is the, the touch points. Every single time it's touch points of housing, health, education, work, money, uh, you know, transport. It's those things that affect our everyday lives. If you can come to the table with a manifesto that is reasonable, costed, but also transformational, uh, erring on the side of caution, thinking about the a manifesto we pre presented with Jeremy Corbyn. Um, if you present, if you if you also have the the right person delivering the message, mm. most importantly, um, it, that goes a long way. So I would hope that whoever is writing the next Labour Party manifesto for the general election is working on transformational policies that would help people in this country, especially working people in this country, mm. um, and those policies will already have an element of change mm. embedded within them, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, it does. Um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, Chris. It's been great to have you on, but I have one final question for you. If you were given a, a staggering budget, a budget without <laughs> limits, and yeah. you could make your dream party political broadcast, what would it look like and what would feature in it? Oh my days! Um, oh, I mean, you'd you'd want the the whole works, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd want a celebrity endorsement. You'd want people on the streets. Um, you know what? I think sometimes the most basic, simple political party broadcasts are incredibly effective. Uh, I, I mean. I I think it's about what you say and how you say it and how you connect as opposed to how much money you've spent on it. And I know, Will, this is completely going from your question and I, you were hoping for fireworks and, you know, <laughs> um, you know, reinvent, uh, uh, reflying Concord and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I genuinely think that's, that's, that's the case. I think you have to just have the right message 
that connects in a really simple and easy to understand way. That doesn't mean that you can't be creative. Mm. I mean, most of my budget would go on the creative of working out how you can actually get this message across. Um, I don't think it needs to be complicated. I, you know, I, I like the old days where, you know, you used to get the, uh, it used to fade from black and it was an office and then it was the prime minister and he would swivel, <laughs> swivel around in his chair and say, good evening, um, and talk to you from his office. Um, but I genuinely think there is, a, there is, you know, there is some, there is some, uh, there is some positives there. I mean, going back to that, lessons from a landslide report we've done for labouring communications it's about simplicity mm. and consistency of message and style you don't need to spend a fortune on it you just need to be clear you need to be concise you need to speak in the same language that the electorate is speaking you need to talk about the same issues that they're talking about if you do that and jazz it up with a bit of creative you should be all right as long as you do not spend an absolute fortune uh, doing a Carly Rae Jepsen style parody that Nick Clegg did for the Lib Dems <laughs> of that video that has still never been seen. Um, I mean, you're all right. I mean, who knows how much the Lib Dems spent on that video, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm desperate to see it. But um, yeah, I think there's probably better ways the Lib Dems could spend their money in that election campaign. Yeah, uh, certainly, hopefully. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, I think con consistency, simplicity, <laughs> Uh, and a and a good message with a with a, a good creative goes a long way. Yes, absolutely, and hopefully we will one day see that uh, that Nick Clegg uh, <laughs> that Nick Clegg video. If there are any whistleblowers in the Liberal Democrats who are willing to to find it and, and release it, then uh, I think that uh, <laughs> I think we would all enjoy we would all enjoy seeing that. Absolutely. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Chris. If people want to find out more about you and more about Labour in Communications, where should they go to find out more about you and Labour uh, in let's Communications? Do, yeah, let's do Labour in Communications first, because that's that's why I'm here, because we're doing some... I, I think we're doing some really good work. We are working with the Parliamentary Labour Party, we're working with Metro Mayors, people in power, people are making decisions, but also we are connecting people from communications, um, you know, advertising public affairs backgrounds with these people. So if you are in communications, if you are in the media environment and you are sympathetic to the Labour Party and you actually want to work with some of these people that could form the next government, this is a fantastic way to do it. So uh, Labour in Comms, uh, search it out on Google or go to labourincoms.org.uk and then you can sign up there for all the events and follow us on social media. The links are on there, just search us out. Uh, and if you want to follow me and my hot takes on the news uh, and my love of gifts um, and other random things that pop up, uh, not Wordle though, I'm definitely not doing Wordle on Twitter anymore, it's, it's just annoying. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at Chris Burks, uh, surname is B-I-R-K-S, and uh, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give, you a, give you a follow back. Well, that is a commitment which I'm sure everyone listening to will uh, hold you to, Chris. <laughs> Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Will. It's a pleasure.